So this week, we are continuing that series that we've been in the last couple of weeks that we are calling A Day with God. And what we've been doing is looking at ordinary moments of our day, the most ordinary moments of our day, and trying to discern where God is at work in those, in those moments, in the midst of those moments. And what I've said every week kind of here in this little intro segment is that what, what started all of this is that I was kind of struck in reading the book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, which I would recommend to you if you have not gotten your hands on it yet. But I was reading it, and I was really struck by what I think is a truth, and it's kind of what she talks about in the book, that there is no moment, no task, no routine too small to not in some way reflect God's glory or God's work or God's presence in our lives. So we started this series by looking at the moment that we wake up in the morning, and then the next week we looked at the moment that we brush our teeth. I told you we're looking at ordinary moments, y'all. And then we, uh, we looked at the moment when we're, perhaps we're on our way out the door and we forget where our keys are, and so we run through the house in a flurry trying to find our keys. Last week, Billy talked about when we perhaps eat leftovers for lunch. And today, we're going to spend some time reflecting on what I imagine is the best part of all of your weeks. When you're on your morning commute or your afternoon commute, and you pull on that on-ramp, and you're making great time, and you're going to be at work early this morning, and then suddenly you see a sea of red lights in front of you. And you realize that you're going to have to spend a little bit of time stuck in traffic. You've been there, right? I would imagine within the past week you have been there. Let's read our scripture for this morning and then, and then we'll jump into it. So our scripture is Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read verses eight, 18 through 25. Let's read it together. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together, as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only at creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, with patience. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. It doesn't matter if it's I-65, or I-20, or 459, or 280, or 31, or even Shades Crest Road sometimes that I've learned recently. My guess is that all of us sometime during the past month have found ourselves stuck in traffic, whether it's the morning commute, or the afternoon commute, or coming back from vacation, or maybe you're just trying to go to the grocery store, right? And it's going to be a quick trip, you only need one or two things, and you find yourself stuck in traffic just trying to get to the pig. In my humble opinion, 
There is nothing worse than sitting in traffic. Last week, we were coming back from the beach, and we took a different way home than we went, which is actually a hurricane evacuation route, and we got a little lost trying to make it work, but we went that way because on the way down, we had to drive through Foley, and we hit all this traffic and all these lights, and we decided that we did not want to do that again, and it was worth the risk to take what may be a little bit of a longer route just to keep the car moving. We also learned that if you have a 70-pound golden retriever jammed in the passenger seat of a RAV4 and a one-year-old in the back, movement is always better than sitting still. You know this, right? The worst is when you're stuck in traffic and you don't even know why. You don't even know why the cars aren't moving. Is it a wreck? Is it road work? Is it going to be some mystery thing where you just pull up far enough on the highway and there's nothing there, but suddenly everybody decides? I mean, like, it's the worst thing ever. There is nothing worse than sitting in traffic. We hate sitting in traffic so much that a few years ago, somebody made an app called Waze just to try and trick us that if we use it, we won't get stuck in traffic. But you still do, right? It still finds you, even if you try to use that app. I remember when I was a kid getting stuff in traffic, and I don't know if this is true or not, but the way I remember it is that as soon as we would hit a big slowdown, the car would immediately get hotter, right? I would immediately start sweating and just feel stuck in the back seat, and I would also get hungry, thirsty, and have to go to the bathroom all at the same time, out of nowhere. And of course, I just felt like it was going to take forever for us to like get out of the parking lot of the freeway. And the truth is that I really don't think we're that much different as adults. We just do a little bit better job sometimes of hiding our impatience when we find ourselves stuck in traffic. And maybe that's because it it really is such a helpless feeling. And like so many other things that we've talked about during this series, it exposes that we really have very little control over how our day actually ends up going. But if you boil it down, sitting in traffic is really just a forced, unexpected period of waiting. And maybe you're like me and you're spoiled and you have a really short commute to work and so you really don't get get stuck in traffic that, that often during the work week. But we are forced to wait all of the time. I wait every morning impatiently for the coffee to finish brewing as I just watch it drip down and wonder if I'm quick enough to pull it out and pour a cup and stick it back in before I make a total mess on the hot plate. Or we wait for a pot of water to boil for dinner, and we just stand there and stare at it. But we know that watched water never boils, but we look at it anyway. Or for the gas pump to finish pumping, and it feels like it's going especially slow that day, and you have somewhere to be. Or when you're on hold with the bank because somebody tried to use your credit card in Florida and you're on vacation, so you have to call, but the the credit card is on file for the hotel room, so you're wondering if you have to cancel the hotel room, right? I mean, we have to wait all of the time, don't we? As much as our culture is driven by instant gratification, we still have to wait, Something gets talked about in this chapter, and and what I believe is is true for us this morning, is that waiting is really one of those ancient spiritual practices. 
In the scripture that we read for this morning, this this excerpt from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, I think it's pretty clear that Paul is writing to a people who are waiting, a people who are stuck in the in-between. Here verses 18 and 19 again. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Paul is writing to a church who is waiting impatiently at times, it seems. Romans as a letter is is known as Paul's theological masterpiece compared to all of his other writings that we have. It's a dense letter. It's the closest thing that we have from Paul to a systematic theology, which is really just a fancy way of saying an all-encompassing look at how he puts together the pieces of Christian theology. But it is also simply a letter written to a church in Rome that was having a really hard time waiting. This letter from Paul was penned about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and things have already gotten pretty choppy for the early Christian community. Paul's mission, his his calling from God, is to bring the Gentiles who were non-Jews into the fold, and so that, of course, has sparked some controversy around who's in and who's out, and Rome is the center of that in a lot of ways. Not to mention the Roman Empire continuing to persecute Christians and do all that they can to really limit the spread of the gospel. And Paul is also trying to plan his next missionary journey into the Mediterranean, and he's hoping that the Roman church can be the anchor of that journey. My point is that there is a lot going on behind the scenes to this letter to the Romans. And in the midst of all of that, this people, Paul included, are waiting for Christ to return. The belief then, and and there's no reason for it to have not been this, was that Christ was going to return any day now. That it wasn't going to be long before Christ came back and creation would be redeemed and folks would be healed and the kingdom of God would reign and death would be defeated once for all. In fact, Paul believed this so much that in the scripture he compares it to labor pains, something that is truly imminent, that Christ is returning. Paul says, we know that we are moving towards this. We know that this is on the horizon. We know that this is coming, and it sure does feel like it's coming soon. We know that God is doing this, that this redemption is coming, but we don't know when, and we don't know where. So we have to wait. It's like in some way Paul is writing to a community that finds themselves stuck in a spiritual traffic jam of sorts. And I really don't think we are any different. Yes, right? Yes, we know that God is working and moving in our lives. Yes, God is faithful. Yes, the presence of God is with us. Yes, we know that we all have a purpose and a calling. Yes, in many ways, the kingdom of God is already here. We talk about that often. Yes, to all of those things, but still we, we wait. It's like spiritually we are, we are on the way, but not there Yet, 
We're all in transit in in this liminal space, sometimes feeling like we're looking at a jammed up highway just waiting for the cars to clear. Christ has come and Christ will come again, but we are a people who find ourselves dwelling in the meantime. We are a people who wait. What I realized this week is that waiting, whether it's sitting in traffic or watching the coffee pot drip or waiting for God to show up and answer a prayer that we've been lifting to him for weeks and weeks and weeks, whatever it is that we're waiting on, waiting is an act of faith that is rooted in a past that allows us to look to the future with hope. I really do think that's what waiting is. It's something that we are doing that is rooted in some past that allows us to look to the future and have some hope. And here's what I mean. We trust that eventually we will be free from the traffic jam because every other traffic jam that we have ever been stuck in has eventually let up. If it hadn't, you wouldn't be here right now, right? We trust that the coffee pot will eventually fill up with coffee because every morning, even the mornings where it feels like it takes a little longer, eventually we get our first cup of coffee. We know eventually that the operator is going to pick up the phone, and if she doesn't, we can call back and try again. We know that the water eventually will boil. Paul is pulling us towards that same perspective spiritually. Here verses 24 and 25 again. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. We wait as followers of Christ. We wait with hope for Christ to return because we know who Christ is. And and we know what Christ has already done for us. We wait with hope because we know that Christ has defeated death. We know the redemption and the renewal and the forgiveness and the new life that we already find in him. We wait with hope because even if we haven't seen it yet, we know how the story ends, don't we? We know that with Jesus, the story always ends in new life. That the story always ends in healing. That the story always ends with us getting more grace than we deserve. You hear me say that all the time. We know that with Jesus, our story will always end in resurrection. And because of that, Paul says, even if we can't yet see it, even if we can't yet see the end of the line of those red taillights on the highway, we are a people who wait with patience because we trust that eventually we will make it home. My hunch is that there's at least one thing in your life that's causing you to wait right now. And it, it, really, it really could be anything. Maybe it's admission to a school that you really, that you really, really want to go to. Maybe it's something around a medical diagnosis. Maybe it's work-related. Maybe it has to do with your kids or with starting a family. Maybe you're just waiting on healing, whether it be for you or for, or for somebody else. Or maybe you're waiting on answers. Maybe you've got a lot of questions for God and you haven't really gotten what you feel like is any answers yet. Maybe you're waiting on reconciliation or renewal. Or maybe you're just waiting on a shimmer of hope something that you've been asking God for for a while. 
whatever it is that you're waiting on. Maybe the next time that you're stuck in traffic, stuck in that in-between of where you've come from and where you're going, forced to realize anew all of the things in your life that you are waiting on. Maybe in that moment, instead of getting frustrated, instead of riding the bumper of the person in front of you so that nobody else can get on the interstate and get in front of you, maybe instead of of getting agitated while you think about all of the other things that you could be doing right now instead of sitting in traffic, maybe instead you will allow yourself to fall into that ancient spiritual practice of waiting. Maybe instead of of getting tense, you can relax your shoulders and deepen your breathing a little bit and seek to remember the past that you are rooted in that allows you to look at the future with hope. And friends, the hope that we are rooted in is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Because of Christ, we wait no matter what it is that we are waiting on, with expectation. It's because of him that we are able to hope in what we do not yet see. It's because of him that we are able to live each ordinary day oriented to a future hope. It's because of him that we know our best life is yet to come. My prayer for us is that we would be a people who wait with expectation, looking to the future with hope, not because of anything that we can see, but simply because of who Christ is and what we know Christ has done for us. Might we be a people who trust that we will make it home? In the name of the Father and the Son. In the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.